Welcome to another episode of the Leaders in Education podcast, the official podcast for the Charlevoix-Emmett Intermediate School District, featuring voices in education. My name is Mike Haynes, and I am the Director of Instructional Services at the Charlevoix-Emmett Intermediate School District. Today, it is my pleasure to be talking with Chase Milkey, award-winning educator, writer, speaker, who focuses on preventing teacher burnout and increasing student engagement. Chase has been awarded multiple honors, including Michigan Teacher of the Year nominee and Allegan County Outstanding People for Education recipient. Chase, thanks uh, for being here today. And Mike, thanks for having me on. It's always an honor to be able to connect with anyone in education, but particularly folks in my home state of Michigan. So true. So you have been motivating students and educators at a time when teaching and learning is unprecedentedly complex. Can you start by sharing a little bit about your background and what led you to emerge as one of Michigan's innovative educational leaders? Absolutely. So my, my background, my jam and peanut butter, as I say, <laughs> was for a decade and a half teaching positive psychology to students. So I uh, got my degree in English education, and so I taught English classes at a rural high school um, in Michigan, and along the side was always just plugging away at trying to build these electives around interpersonal communications and leadership and my passion around the study of well-being, what are the actual science-based practices that can help students and grown adults not just survive their world, but thrive as well. So for the longest time, I was just teaching that, and that was my main focus. But um, throughout that time, I was also getting a chance to do a lot of teacher trainings and professional development. And it became very clear that not only do students need some of the strategies around wellness and well-being, but educators more than yeah. anyone. And having reflected on my own experience of how critical some of those st strategies and concepts were, it became in the space of why am I just keeping this in my small little bubble? I need to start sharing this outwardly. So I transitioned my role into being an instructional coach and then the speaking opportunities and professional development opportunities continuing to expand. So um, now I, I teach uh, college classes and then I get a chance to work with school districts all over the U.S., all over the world to help them understand how do we help educators be at their best so they can give their best to the students who need them. Well, this sounds not only is this appropriate timing, but it's just the study of well-being yeah. sounds so uplifting that, you know, I, again, like you, we, <laughs> we hear so many challenges that school schools, school officials, educators are facing that that I think well-being is certainly, in my opinion, is that that's probably going to be at the top of our list. Yeah, absolutely. I think a lot of our energy naturally as educators is how do we look at deficits and how do we look mm -hmm. at what's wrong and try to fix and right those wrongs. And absolutely, there's space and need to do that. Uh, but what the realm of positive psychology is demonstrating is that we don't have to just focus on the bad. We can also actively look to leverage the good. And not yeah. only will leveraging the good help us get more of that positive emotion and meaning and engagement and relationships, but it could also help us overcome some of those bad challenges or struggles that all educators are going to deal with all the time. Yeah, I love that. So you've done a lot of work around closing the achievement gap with at-risk students also, and even received a Michigan Association of School Administrators Winner Circle Award. Can you tell us more about that work? <laughs> For sure. So when I first was pitching the idea of a positive psychology class <laughs> to my administrators, um, I came from this mindset of we wait so long to teach students or help students find success and meaning in their world. Like we try to get them to, to get good grades so they can get into good colleges and get good salaries so that mm -hmm. they can maybe have some stability. Like 
it just seemed like kicking the can down the road. And so I thought, like, why aren't we teaching this directly? So I put together my proposal, all the research to support it, what the activities would be. And my administrators were like, yeah, you could absolutely run that class. <laughs> but we're going to give you our most challenging sophomores. So we kicked it off with around 17 or 18 of our struggling sophomores who in their freshman year had failed pretty much all of their classes. And I will tell you, there were some growing pains of getting some teenagers to buy into the idea of like a happiness class. So many of those <laughs> right. kids were upset of like, why am I losing an elective to go with some like happiness guy? I already don't like school. Um, but it became the passion of my work is to not only help teach the concepts of positive psychology, but to live them in a classroom. And so building relationships and helping students build efficacy and learn goal setting strategies to increase their accomplishment levels, to give them a wow. sense of purpose and meaning behind even showing up every single day. And so the very first year, it was a very long year and a very stressful year of just trying to build something from scratch. But we had reduced the failure rates of these students by um, just over 60% compared to their freshman year. And some of those students went from, from failing everything to passing all of their classes, many of whom asked if they could be mentors for the next year's group. And so oh, it was great. a small success that then we started to build out. We doubled the class size and still we were reducing failure rates by about 50% with that group. And to the point we just expanded it to all students had access to the content. So um, it was very much a, a labor of love of trying to not only teach it and preach it, but create that context for students and learners. Wow. I love that idea that, you know, helping students in the moment versus continuing to push at what they're going to do in their future. What are they going to become versus what they are now? And uh, I really appreciate it. So is that class still, does it still exist? Now that you're not there. So funny, full circle loop. Uh, after I transitioned to my instructional coaching role, one of my colleagues took over the class for a little while and then he left education. So last year it was just kind of non-existent. But um, one of our newer teachers in my former district is now teaching the class and she was a former student who took the class and oh, she had great. attributed that class to being her reason for teaching. So it's kind of this cool moment of like, I get to pass the torch on to someone who not only is interested, but literally benefited and lived that experience. Wow. So a nice, nice full circle for, for the effort that went into it. And what a legacy that you've left. That's, that's amazing. For sure. So yeah. I, I imagine most of our listeners like me are wondering where you get all the energy, the passion, the drive to keep pushing these important messages. <laughs> what, like what inspires you and rejuvenates you? For me, I've always been a big, uh, creativity is a big part of what I do. Like I feel very much driven by the idea of taking raw ideas or taking research that people might not be exposed to and, and how do I synthesize that and pull that together? So one of my big driving points is just, is just creation. How do I create content and how do I create curriculum and how do I create experiences for my students? Um, but kind of going even deeper into that Mm -hmm. now is that. I have two young kids. My wife's a second grade teacher. And so I get to not only live the experience of what's it like in education, but now look through this point or lens of my, my kids are going to need teachers right. who feel a sense of thriving and they're going to need educators who believe in them and want to create those positive contexts. And so it goes much deeper than just the fun of creation. It mm-hmm. is really trying to support the educators who will be supporting my kids to become the best human beings that they can be. Sounds like you're really living your purpose. Yeah, it, it, you know, not every day <laughs> is it is it a, as intense. And I think that's one of the critical things I, I point out to a lot of people is 
there are phases where it feels like a career and that's totally okay and it's mm -hmm. not necessarily the sense of a calling um, but i think living through those phases and living through those challenging moments of you know many many lessons i created failed miserably and many days with my students were really rough and many times speaking doing professional development is challenging when i'm not directly working with students and so it ebbs and flows but i think it's, it's really important to just look for those little victories and those little mm -hmm. moments of how am i contributing even in my small pocket of earth how am i contributing to help other people live better lives have you gotten any pushback from anyone regarding, you know, again, this story about well-being and happiness? You said yeah. initially your students weren't sure they wanted to have anything to do with that, but have, have adults ever pushed back on you at all with, with this? Now, initially, my superintendent, uh, she came to me before the class was launched, and she was like, this isn't going to be some, like, hippie, like, sit around a campfire, everyone just talks about their feelings, is it like there's something real behind it? So I knew on the surface, like, it, it seems like a very, like, lighthearted, fluffy, pseudoscience sort of idea. Mm -hmm. um, so I really just kind of kept my head down and really just worked on, on creating the experience so that it could sell itself, so that people could could know that it had an impact and be able to hear it not only from me, but see it in the data with the failure yeah. rates and success rates and hear from the students themselves and see the amount of students who want to take it as an elective. Mm -hmm. um, so in the positive psychology class, that was a big piece of it. But in the educator realm, one of the changes or transitions I've seen in the past few years is that so often educators, the concept of burnout just gets put right mm -hmm. on their plates of mm -hmm. like, you need to take care of yourself, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. And so that really took me down a whole different realm of how do we look at the big picture around burnout and well-being that yeah. there are a lot of individual strategies we can do and there's a science to support it, but there's a lot that goes into it within our organizations as well. How do we create conditions so that educators have a sense of autonomy, they have a sense of relatedness within their work, they have reduced workloads, they feel a sense of efficacy. So that was kind of the moment of like, oh, this isn't just an individual problem. How do we help shift systems so that mm -hmm. we can improve the well-being long term, not just in the short term de-stress category? I'm going to put you on the spot and ask a question that I don't think I shared with you in advance. But uh, so if we talk about systems that would support well-being. What are the two or three things that you think need to be in place for that to work for students and adults? Yeah, I think there are a number of things that have to happen. And one of the most important is to actually collect data on the well-being of our workers okay. and our students. The same way we collect data on literacy abilities or mathematical thinking and skills. But there are actual research-based strategies and measures. Mm -hmm. How do you gauge a staff level of exhaustion? How do you gauge their sense of cynicism? How do you measure their feelings of inefficacy? And those start to reveal where the trends in energy okay. start to lie. So I think treating it just like anything else we would measure, take the tests, experiment with some new ideas, gauge the results, bring your people into that conversation of decision-making. And that's a big piece of it because if we don't know where people are at, People aren't very right. often going to just share it openly or at least in a way that we can measure. Just as no effective educator would go a whole year without giving formative right. assessments or right. doing summative assessments, school leaders shouldn't just go the whole year assuming that staff is okay or assuming things about their burnout levels that they should measure it. So that would be definitely one of the starting points for a lot of systems. It makes a lot of sense. So our, our listeners may not know this yet, but you are one of the inspirational leaders joining us for our area-wide professional learning day in the fall. 
What would you like to say that would help participants choose your session? Well, I will say I want them to choose whatever sessions are most uh, <laughs> resonating to them. I want people to be able to support their needs. But um, what I love about the work I do working with educators is everything I do is through two lenses. It's through the lens of how do we apply these concepts to ourselves in our world because I say all the time, we give our best when we're at our best. And so how do we improve our own ability and efficacy? But I also come through the lens of what does this look like in practice in a school setting? So how do I apply these concepts, not only to my life and my world and my work, but how do I help students engage with this idea as well? So it covers a broad experience of if you want something for yourself, if you're just like, I need some time for me to learn some skills and ideas to help me function, I'll be there for you. If you need something where you're looking to take your students social emotional experience or their level of efficacy or their understanding of how to take agency over their lives then i will be there for you as well so not only that but i also try to keep things as engaging as possible you're not just going to hear me mm -hmm. talking for the full session or full time there's going to be a lot of experiences and opportunities for educators to experience good teaching practices along with teaching skills oh wow and, you know, Chase, you've, you've also done a lot of writing and uh, you have a blog and a book. If there's if you could direct our listeners to learn more about your work and your passion that you're sharing here, where would you suggest they go? Probably the easy starting point is just to Google my name, which will <laughs> give you a few different routes. Um, it'll lead to the main space to learn more about my speaking and professional development, which is um, an agency called topyouthspeakers.com. Okay. So they can check out demos of me speaking in action to get a sense of my style and learn more about the type of stuff that I do. Um, I do run a website with a blog called affectiveliving.com. And so a lot okay. of my experience with teaching positive psychology was housed there and posted there. Um, but possibly the more active space with my writing is ASCD. So if you okay. link to ASCD.org, um, they can click my name and it'll have all the articles that I've written. I have a book that I wrote called The Burnout Cure. I have a quick reference guide around burnout. Um, and then by the time that the conference will be taking place in November, my second full-length book on the organizational elements of burnout uh -huh. will also be released. So if you like my writing, either my blog, Effective Living, or ACD, if you want to learn about my speaking, topyouthspeakers.com. Great. Well, I, I, as well as our listeners, I'm sure will check those things out. Um, is, is there anything else you'd like to add? I think my hope for everyone, no matter when they're listening to this or where they're at, is to just spend some time focusing on those little victories that we're experiencing. A lot of the work that I've gotten to do is just by trying to make those small little wins and those small little moments. And my hope for everyone is to realize that they don't have to fix all the problems, they don't have to be all the things or do all the things, but just simplify it down to what gives you a sense of purpose in those moments and, and try to make the most of those moments when they arise. Oh, it's great advice. Well, Chase, it's been a pleasure talking with you. I, I'm humbled by your experience and your ability to inspire others, your attitude, your perspective. It's really nice to know that we have people such as yourself working on behalf of students and educators. So thank you for having this conversation and sharing some of your passion with me and the folks that listen to this podcast. Absolutely. I'm hoping to see as many of those faces as I can in the fall. <laughs> Great. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Leaders in Education podcast. Please check out our archive for past episodes. And remember, the great thing about learning is that you never have to stop.